Hello, my kings, queens, and in between, and welcome to the Divine Queries Podcast. This is the space where we embolden you to be who you are, wherever you are, and give you the tools and the resources and the magic to do so. So thank you for joining. My name is Shauna Williams, and I am the Mystical Minister, and I identify with the pronouns of she, her, and they, and I respect how you choose to identify. I am the author of The Spiritual Magic of a Queer POC, and I am excited to host this show for you with my guests that we have on. So grab you some tea and water and sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the first episode in the series of Being Queer and Married in the South. And I am so happy to first introduce you guys to two of my really good friends that I've been friends with for some time. And I was in their wedding party and they are great people and um, they are married in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's Jeremy Knoll and Patrick Custer. And so welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thank you. Thanks. Excited to be on Yes, happy to have you guys here. So we'll start off because I just love starting off like this with your, um, and I know you guys have had a very in-depth, varied experience with your families and coming out and getting married and moving through that. But I want to know from, we'll start with Jeremy first. What was it like uh, going to your family and saying, like, hey, I'm getting married. And you can even go back even further to when you first came out to them. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I came out at 31, so a little later than a lot of people, I feel like. And um, my dad's a pastor, so my parents were not exactly thrilled. Um, it took them a little while to kind of come around to the idea, and then they, but they have. Um, I'll go ahead and jump forward to present and tell you that they have made tons of progress, miles and miles of growth. We have a great relationship. They love Patrick. But at that point, um, they weren't super excited. And so kind of a slow coming around process. And then about a year, actually it was two or three years later that I met Patrick and they weren't excited about that. <laughs> they were not excited about the engagement and they did not attend the wedding. I'm sure we may get into all that, but, um, so it's been hard, but like I said, they really come around a lot and we're in a really good place now. They um, love him and embrace him, so I'm really thankful for that. Beautiful. And I do want to take this time to kind of get into that because, I mean, I remember um, how that felt and how that was. So kind of talk about how you felt like emotionally and mentally and how you moved through that, your parents denying to, to come to the wedding. This is, this is your time to share that. So my relationship with my parents, I'm the oldest of three. I think that anyone who knew me and my place in my family and the role that I played was kind of like the golden child. I went to a Christian college, was really active in youth group all through high school. I wanted to sing Christian music and, and did for about nine years. That's what brought me to Nashville. So I think I was really always striving to please my parents and get their approval and Coming out just kind of felt like the ultimate admission of failure or disappointment. Um, so that was really tough for me to do, but obviously it was something that was really important. I wanted to have a completely authentic 
relationship with my parents and you know I've always been close to my family and, and it just got to be really hard feeling like I was keeping this major part of my life separate so um, you know finally decided I had to do it and did um, so fast forward to the wedding I think I knew that they probably wouldn't come and Patrick and I had discussed really just wanting people to be at our wedding who loved us and supported us 100% we wanted that to be the environment of our wedding and um, so we we invited we not invited we didn't send them invitations but we talked to both of our parents of course they knew what was happening and when it was going to be told them that they were welcome to come if they wanted to come but that we only wanted them to be there if they really were going to be supportive and I think my parents wrestled with it more than they let me know beforehand um, but I think I need to say that I never thought they would come so I kind of made peace with that mm-hmm. um, and. I mean, I think it was a really difficult thing when the day rolled around. I had some other family there, a cousin who walked me out, and that was really special. And right before we got ready to walk out, she pulled me into a hug and said, I love you so much. You are right where you are supposed to be. And whoever should be here today is here. And we just need to not worry about the ones that aren't. And, you know, we cried a little bit together because that was really important for me to hear. But there were moments throughout the day where I thought about it. You know, of course, you grow up thinking your parents are going to be at your wedding. But I really had made peace with it. My dad um, called me the week of, and he cried through a whole conversation just explaining that they couldn't reconcile with their spiritual, you know, convictions to come to that ceremony. And I understood, and I really do. Um, we may get into this later, but I feel like I've straddled the fence between my Christian friends and my gay friends, and then the people that are in the middle are right there with me. But I feel like I'm constantly trying to apologize to my gay friends for the way the church has handled them. Mm-hmm. And I'm always trying to help the church understand how they can be better to the gay community. Mm-hmm. And I just try to have a lot of grace for both. And none of us do that perfectly. But I say that to say that with my parents, I really do have grace for them because I grew up in that home. I know their hearts. I know the kind of mental process they went through for our wedding and so I do not have ill will I don't hold a grudge I truly don't and you know I know that that was a really tough thing for them to have to miss and since that day we went to dinner with them one time a few months after six months or so after and we it was just Patrick and I and my mom and dad and dad sent me a text from across the table and said will you read that out loud to Patrick I couldn't say it to you because I was going to cry my dad's very emotional I get that from him which is sweet. So he sent a long text just basically saying, your mom and I love you both. We we support you. And we may regret that decision at some point or for the rest of our lives. But at that point, that's the decision we felt like we had to make. But we just want you to know that we're sorry if it hurt you in any way. And, you know, I think we all cried. I mean, I told them that it did hurt. It had hurt me that they weren't there. But that I forgave them and I have grace for them. And we can't go back. I mean, you know, Regrets don't do anything. So I appreciated their words and it meant a lot. And we moved forward. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where I was. I I really feel free in my conscience and my spirit about how I think and feel toward them about that decision. So, you know, other people, other friends are like, I can't believe they didn't come. You know, people have their thoughts, but I truly know that between me and my parents, we're good. Yeah. And we've moved forward. So, 
Okay, I feel that. And that makes me so happy. And I'll see like the pictures on Facebook and kind of like hear what you guys are up to. And it makes me very happy to, to see that. And I'll, I'll comment more in a little bit. But So thank you. And Patrick, I want to know for you, you're... <laughs> And I and I, I like I'm remembering it. You dating girls and like all of that stuff as I'm asking you this question. But um, I want to know your coming out story a little bit of it, and then how it was for you coming out to your parents because your parents are very similar to Jeremy. So please, this is your opportunity to share your side of the story. Sure. Okay. So um, my to kind of go back, you covered it a little bit. Yeah, I uh, growing up in the South and um, in a very conservative Christian family, um, I think that, no, I don't think I know, my expectation was absolutely to, uh, you know, that living the way that God expected us to was to be straight. And that, uh, <clears throat> that you know, being gay was a choice, a lifestyle choice, and what have you. And so for the longest time, I believed that the feelings that I had inside um, were something that uh, everyone or many people had. <clears throat> you know, same-sex attraction was something that, quote-unquote, came against uh, many or most people. And that, you know, how I dealt with those feelings was a manifestation of my relationship with God. And... Uh, you know, for many years, that's what I clung to. And so, um, you know, for me, I felt like it was my duty uh, to um, pursue relationships with females, and no matter how that made me feel um, or how difficult that was for me or how genuine, uh, you know, any of it was. And uh, I did that for, oh gosh, till I was, I think my last, relationship ended uh, at 23 years old for me. And so um, <clears throat> I didn't come out until um, I was 25 years old. Um, and uh, and that was difficult in and of itself. And there were many levels of my family <laughs> being in denial or what have you, but especially my parents. Um, I think that you know, the rest of my family, many of them saw and understood. Uh, but when it came down to my parents, it was, I mean, that, that's been the most dramatic uh, of all, of everything. Um, and so, you know, I think as with, uh, as with, in Jeremy's case, um, you know, it, you're, what's, a, what's a significant other uh, comes into play on the level of, uh, you know, talking about marriage, it, it just adds a whole new level of seriousness, right? And uh, because I think that parents are able to, at least parents in our situation, are able to tell themselves there's always a chance they'll see the light, you know, or that they'll, you know, see, you know, see that this was just a phase or something like that. Um, you know, so there's like a hope in the back of their head that, you know, this will end at some point. But when you start talking about marriage, that changes drastically. And um, and so for me, <laughs> so backtrack just a little bit, uh, you know, Jeremy's and my role 
as a couple is, um, you know, he's definitely more of a, a take charge, um, type A planner uh, type personality. And so um, we had just come, the year we got engaged, uh, we had just come off the heels. Uh, we have a life-changing um, illness, a brain tumor, and all in and out of the hospital for six months, as you know, because you were there with me. Um, and, uh, you know, come, came, came clean out the other side, meaning, you know, I, I was doing well with my health and everything. And, uh, and once we realized that I was going to live and, and, uh, you know, life was on the up and up, um, I just kind of had a realization that, you know, things changed in my head, my outlook, my emotions, uh, in my mind, on my outlook for life. And in a way that I very seize the day and just I'm going to live life to its fullest and not hold back. Um, and to me, there was a very clear realization that um, Jeremy and I at that point had been together for just about three years. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that making it through the other side of what I had with him and my struggle to cling to life, I knew that he was the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And so um, I had spent the time explaining to you about our personality dynamics because uh, laying groundwork for this, um, I decided to propose to him and um, which surprised all of our friends because it was just so against, you know, how everybody thought things would roll out. And uh, I proposed to him and we got engaged and uh, ended up getting married later that year. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was definitely a, um, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't remember exactly how, my parents uh, received it. I mean, I don't think it was like, I know it wasn't a celebra celebrating moment, um, but I think that, you know, the way I presented it was exactly just matter of fact, you know, we're getting married. And I wasn't expecting anything other than their acknowledgement of the fact that I said it, you know, because I was just telling them, I, you know. And it wasn't anything more than that moment from what I can remember. Um, you know, Jeremy had shared earlier when he spoke about, his, you know, what happened with his family that, um, you know, we had just asked them what actually he, he and I both spent a little bit of a different initiative in how we related this issue with our parents. And I think rightly so, because our relationships are a little bit different on on the subject and you know for me i didn't want to treat this situation any differently than other people get to i know that you know my parents are a certain way around the issue of homosexuality and that's their choice uh, but i do not believe that i should have to spend you know, any part of what's supposed to be a happy time for me differently than how people get to in the straight world. And mm -hmm. so I sent them an invitation. Um, and that was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, 
you know, conversation for me. I didn't, I wasn't going to make it some long drawn out thing. I sent them an invitation and, um, you know, when my mom confronted me about it, I was like, listen, I sent you an invitation because I want you to know that if you want to be there, then I want you to be there. If you don't want to be there, then I don't want you to be there, but it's not going to be anything more than that because, um, you know, I, I, there wasn't any debate or do you, what do you think about this or whatever? When it came down to the nuts and bolts of it, for me, it was purely that a matter of the heart. If you want to be there and support us, then I absolutely will be there. If you don't, then don't be there, you know? And I think where Jeremy and I, you know, come together at the same sentiment of everything with this and the wedding was like he mentioned in that we just didn't want anyone there that wasn't in supportive spirit of us. You know, I, I know my parents love me and I know Jeremy's parents love him. And I definitely feel that love as well. Um, but it was, uh, it was definitely, it was a difficult day. Um, you know, to not have our parents there. Uh, but I'll lead into saying that, you know, we had some family members that showed up and stood in for, you know, the matriarch and patriarchs of our family um, in ways that we, you know, didn't know were going to happen. And it was very, very special. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, thank you. It really was a beautiful day. That like, And it was just flawless. There was no drama. And maybe there was. I was just unaware to it. But, like, the wedding party, everybody mixed very well. You guys were just, like, chilling. We hung out and got our, like, makeup and hair done. Then we went to the venue. And it was just the pitch, like, everything. The party after. I don't know if it's called a reception. And, Jeremy, what your brother said. Like, it was all just a beautiful, perfect day filled with love and everybody celebrating you guys to like the 10th degree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I'm so, I'm so excited. And you guys just had um, your anniversary. You just came up on two years, three years, how many years? Two years. Two yep. years. Okay. Yes. Yep. Congratulations. And so I let's talk about after the marriage because there's, um, we're going to talk about, the medical stuff. We're going to talk about the shift in religion and spirituality and how you guys have been moving through that. We're going to talk about all of that. Um, but right now, let's talk about. Um, I just lost my train of thought. What was I just saying? What? Let's let me do cross brain sensory. Oh yeah. Okay. After y'all got married, it came back to me. After you guys got married, because you got a house and then you moved out of the house and like all of this stuff you've moved twice and I need to yeah so talk about like after the wedding and after getting married how you guys have maneuvered through just life and whoever would like to start first please do oh gosh okay so Patrick trying to remember after the wedding well my goodness I don't know you yeah. So we got married in November of 17, and then we've been in a townhouse since the summer of 16. And so in June of 2018, we sold that and moved to a different part of Nashville. And um, just to have a little more space, we were planning to get a second little dog to 
at the fam, but we did. Um, and we had a little vineyard, which is great. And so we lived there for about a year and then decided we wanted to move back to the side of town that we had been in with our townhouse. So we went back to the west side of Nashville that we love. And um, yeah, so it's been kind of a lot of moving. We're not going to move for a long time. <laughs> I've made Patrick promise me that we're not moving for several years. Um, but, you know, I just have to kind of figure out where you want to settle. And we just really love this part of town. Um, so we are here now. We have two dogs, Carter, who is a 12 year old Westie. And then Sully is a Maltese poodle mix. And he is like one and a half. So that's our current family and our current living situation. Very adorable. And you guys have had job changes too. So speak on that. Um, just, I mean, cause everything in, in life that can happen, you guys have really gone through and I can't wait to get to the, the medical stuff, but the job switching and like the insecurity with that and like adjusting to new jobs and new titles and stuff, Patrick, cause you just recently came into a new title and a new position. So speak on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so for, I've worked with the same company that's gone through a lot of changes, um, but built the same company in May, I think will be four years. And, uh, and so I've been doing the same job with them since until, Oh gosh, this past July, I believe. And uh, excuse me, <laughs> sorry. Um, I had uh, so the the company was originally called Elements Fit. Bless you. I'm sorry, <laughs> getting over a cold. Uh, it was originally called Elements Behavioral Health, and uh, this past year we went through. Uh, purchase, rebranding, the new name, everything. We're now called Promises Behavioral Health. And our company um, owns a number of residential treatment centers across the United States for uh, the treatment of addiction, primary mental health services, uh, disorders, trauma, eating disorders, and sex addiction. And um, I had been working as an outreach manager doing business development in Tennessee, uh, for three years until this year when I uh, became the national director of alumni services. So that is what I'm currently doing today. And I'm loving it. And Jeremy, has, I'll let you talk about your stuff. Um, when I met Patrick, I was working at the Art Institute in Nashville and admissions, and I did that for several years. Um, for about a year after we got married, I was out at the ranch also doing admissions, and then I um, moved to a company called Health Trust, which is part of HCA, and from the fall with like contract administration work there, and have been there for about a year and a half. So, loving that job. Okay, well, so I do want to touch on though because it wasn't just like you guys were like, "Oh, I'm here and now I'm here and it's just so good." Like you guys, you went through some internal shifts, especially Jeremy, you trying out the field that Patrick has been in for a really long time and realizing that like, this is not for you and you guys maneuvering through <laughs> that. So please speak oh, on like, oh, you want us to be more in depth about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I didn't love it. I'm um, sorry for anybody listening that is involved in the, or anything to do with the ranch. The ranch is a wonderful facility. Yes. It helps is. Lots of people, but here's the, here's the newsflash on that. It was 55 miles as in five, five, from where we live and I learned in that job the valuable lesson that commuting to work is never going to be something I want to do and that's okay so I tried it it was a long drive 
you know, it just was not my bag. But the job itself was okay. I really loved watching coworkers, and it was really pretty out there in the country for this city boy to experience. But at the, at the end of the day, it was just too far to drive. And then when we made that move to the other side of town, it made the drive even further. So that was the problem. It was really the job was doomed because of the drive. Um, and I don't know. I think that there were challenges to us working for the same company in the same field. On days when I was really annoyed about things or stressed, I would call Patrick on the way home and just bench for 30 straight minutes, you know. And so I think he was more ready for me to get another job than even <laughs> I was. But um, it, it just, yeah, it wasn't a good fit. And, um, you know, you live, you learn. So then I ended up, but, but what's really cool, I love to look back and say, number one, I learned lessons from jobs or build relationships or whatever. But number two, if I hadn't taken that job um, and gotten some healthcare experience on my resume, I probably wouldn't have even been considered for my current job, which is, it's not, you know, it's in healthcare, it's in that field. So I look at that as it was a, a stepping stone to get where I needed to be and everything works out how it's supposed to. Um, but that was not a good, that was not our best year and a half. <laughs> I just, it wasn't great. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. here we are and yeah. it's much better. So, okay. Thank yeah. you for sharing. That. If you don't love your job, get a new job. Yes. Know? Yes. There's no reason to suffer in misery. So Patrick, your point of view on that, because you really touched on how your different personalities, which they are completely different. Um, and then after you had your, your medical, like your traumatic brain tumor event, let's just call it what it was. Like you became even more like, Whoa! so tell me like, how is that for you moving through all of that? How? How is what? Can you repeat that last part of the question that you cut out a little? Yes. How is it moving through that part of y'all's life where Jeremy was kind of trying out this new field, realizing he didn't love it, but it's like the field that you love and like hearing him, like, just be like, I, I got to get out of here. And you just kind of listening to him, but you're like, Oh, this is so great. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. So that was difficult, especially because, you know, and to, to tell you at this point, um, the ranch was going through some struggles at that time. So, um, <clears throat> that identifying who, you know, what the program wanted to be. Um, our parent company was struggling as well. And eventually, uh, to just add some more detail. So <clears throat> elements went through a chapter 11, uh, bankruptcy. And, uh, we, like I said, we ended up getting purchased, rebranded, renamed and have reassimilated, uh, with different programs and what have you on the other side of that. And so essentially a completely new company at this point. Um, but at that time we were going through the most painful part of that process and the ranch was really feeling it. Um, and so, and Jeremy was experiencing a lot of that pain, um, that a company goes through. Um, and it, you know, he's experiencing it on the front lines and firsthand. And we both worked, we couldn't have been more opposite ends of a company because the job that I was doing uh, was business development and outreach, mm -hmm. which is the front, the front line. It was my job to put on the best face uh, for our company and, uh, and sell our program, yeah. you know, and it is, it is difficult to, you know, basically be a cheerleader for a program, uh, you know, and it's hard to turn that off yeah. ever. 
you know, people who make good marketers are constantly marketing. And I believe that about myself. I think, um, you know, once a marketer, always a marketer. And um, that's in my bones and in my blood. I love the company that I work for more than ever now. Um, but there are some core values and core things about the, the, the treatment we provide that I've always believed in, always loved, and it's always run true for me. And those are the things that ignite my passion and keep me going. And, uh, but it is hard when your spouse comes home, you know, and has so many tough struggles and things. And I, I, you know, it, where do you go with that? For me, because I, I'm not a great sounding board when, you know, venting needs to happen. <laughs> because my go-to is how do we do this? Like, let's find a solution and be positive and fix it. Yeah. You know? And sometimes on the other side of that, I just want him to let me vent. Yeah. And, like, maybe just be like, that's up. You know? That really sounds like it's not fun. Period. You know, I call Patrick Pollyanna because <laughs> anyone who thinks that old Disney movie remembers that her whole thing was to, like, put a positive spin on everything. And that is such a great quality. Like, we really do balance each other out. But sometimes you don't want the silver lining. You just want to be in it and listen and have them be in it with you yeah. and hear it, listen, period, done. Okay, moving on, what's for dinner, you know? Yeah. So that's something we kind of learn to help each other on. I mean, sometimes... I, most of the time, I really appreciate and value his positive, you know, outlook and demeanor on everything. But I think he's also learned that there are times when I just need him to not do that and just let me be where I'm at and then we can move forward. So, you know, things you learn and compromise. Yes. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. All right, beauty, so we're going to take a quick stretch break. And so just allow yourself to stand if you're able to or if you're seated, that's fine. Just going to reach your hands up over the head. And just reach like you're climbing a rope with one hand at a time. Really reaching those shoulders up, moving those shoulders around, reaching, reaching, reaching. And then just bring the arms out. And then around, like you're giving yourself a hug and move from side to side and start to move the head around in circles. And of course, breathing this entire time. And then go the other way. Good. And then just let the arms go, shake them out. Shake, shake, shake. Smile, stretch the cheeks, frown, smile, and laugh. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the show. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that break. And now we are ready to receive this next share portion from Jeremy and Patrick. And so guys, we're gonna get into that traumatic medical situation that seemed like it lasted for so long. Um, it was a very scary time. And I know that Patrick alluded to like, if we can make it through this, then I wanna, like, this is a person I wanna spend my life with. And through that, like realizing that, 
But I mean, like as a friend on the, the side, it was like, is, are they going to make it through this? Um, so I definitely, it was, it was a scary time for everyone, for Patrick, for Jeremy, for like moving through the family and all of that stuff. It was huge. And it seems like it was just yesterday and also 10, 15 years ago. So Patrick, I want you to share like from the first day when you got the MRI results and in like all of that stuff, I want to go back to the beginning and moving through all of that for you. So you get to tell your side of this. Sure. So it's easier for me to start a little bit before that, actually, to paint the broad strokes of the picture for somebody yes. who doesn't know my story. Um, so first of all, it, I think this is kind of essential as well. I'm a person in recovery from uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. And, um, and so, you know, hence what led me to work in the field that I'm in and what have you. Um, I think that's just like a helpful thing to know, yes. but also, so my symptoms had started in probably 2015, no, 14, 2014. So two years before we found my brain tumor and, um, I had been having so many struggles, uh, trying to identify what was causing my issues, which ranged from anxiety to breathing problems to interference with me being able to exercise um, and not almost passed out and, and whatnot. Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, fast forward, I had just, it was 2016 and, um, I had more and more things happening. We had run tests, all kinds of things. Nothing had, um, nothing had come up positive. And so at this point, the doctors, uh, had just continued to diagnose me with, um, anxiety and that's what all signs were pointing towards. And so you can imagine how you're experiencing all kinds of debilitating physical symptoms and being told that it's just anxiety. Um, and so uh, I, in May, I think of that year, 2016, I had left my job at Carmel Heights and went to go work for uh, Elements. And so I'm in a brand new, brand new job um, type of job and with a brand new company and I'm slowly or very quickly at this point uh, falling apart basically um, I, I my symptoms like I said ranged all across the board but were preventing me from functioning like I needed to professionally and in my, it, just in life in general showing up for people taking care of myself and um, and I, we were in July a couple ER visits and uh, finally, they did an MRI of my brain and found the brain tumor. And um, it was pretty devastating, even though in the back of my mind, I pretty much knew that's what it was. Uh, there was just, after going through, you know, all the symptoms that I had gone through, and, and, uh, all signs were pointing towards brain tumor, you know. Uh, and uh, it, they had done the brain scan on a Friday night, called me early on a Monday said to not drive myself that I need to have somebody drive me to discuss my test results, which I knew what that meant, you know, mm -hmm. so Jeremy goes in with me, we go, we talk to the doctor and she, you know, gets, gets, uh, real up close with me and she says, Patrick, you know, we found, she's almost teary eyed at this point. This is my doctor and I have gotten real close through the, those two years. And, um, you know, she said, I, we found the, the source of you know, your issues. And, um, we found a mass in your brain. And, uh, you know, I immediately started to try and say, 
okay, well, at least we have an answer. You know, we'll, this looks, what's the positive side? You know, we'll wait and see what happens, what's next, what's next. And she said, you know, just so you know, it, it looks pretty serious, the type of tumor, what it looks like. And, um, and I was like, yeah, but, you know, there's a million different types of tumors, so I'm, you know, not going to. And she, I think, was just trying to give me uh, a let me know that. It, from what they could see, they thought it was a specific type of tumor that was a fast-growing cancer. And uh, and it kind of almost took my hope away from me at that moment, but I can see why she did because it, because of the way it looked. And, um, you know, immediately it was devastating, and I almost couldn't breathe because that news is not, I mean, nobody's ever prepared to get that type of news. And uh, was told to, you know, go hug everybody I love, pack my bag, and be ready to admit to the hospital the next morning. Uh, they were going to do a week full of tests and determine what, you know, surgery, what route was going to take place. So we did a week week of tests. They planned surgery for that Friday, and uh, I had brain surgery that week. And, um, you know, you were there for. I think I, I don't know. I don't remember where, what part you when you came in to play, but I know you were there for so much of it. Um, and uh, so, sorry, I've been talking straight for a few minutes. And I, I, <laughs> do you have a question to guide me for what? No, you you're doing great. Know? You're doing great. So you that week with surgery that wasn't so. I mean from there on because that was literally not the beginning but the beginning of something that was going to be really intense that nobody could have been prepared for either so please continue onward okay so um you know as you can imagine because my memory is a little foggy some Mm -hmm. of you all remember these things better than me because it's obvious but um so I had that first brain surgery that week, um, and I honestly can't remember when and how all the complications happened, but basically um, uh, ended up about a week later going home and resting uh, and recovering for the next few weeks, and uh, I knew something was wrong. Um, I mean, I had a knowing. I was like, there, I have an infection in the back of my head. I just... And then it went in on Sunday night and um, they ended up, I guess my brain surgeon wasn't there that night. So they just, uh, they just, sorry, our dog's growling in the background. Uh, uh, I think for observation that night and um, by the time my, my brain surgeon got in the next morning, he said, oh yeah, we've got to do surgery right away. So they took me in and did emergency brain surgery and, um, cleaned out everything inside my head um, to get, I, I had MRSA in my head. And um, so they set me back up. Um, there was an issue with my, uh, the membrane that holds your cerebrospinal fluid and it's called the dura. It wouldn't heal correctly. And so um, I had to be laid flat for long periods of time um, to try and let that heal. And, uh, you know, finally, it did. I don't remember how long I was in the hospital. The same thing basically happened again four weeks later yeah. after I'd gone home. And except this time, it was bad. The membrane was not wanting to heal at all. 
they did brain surgery again. I had every complication you could think of. I ended up getting blood clots in my lungs, both kinds of pneumonia. Um, and uh, I was in the hospital, I think, 45 days at that time. Um, and it was, it was pretty bad. Um, I saw the looks on the people in my life's face that you, I, I never knew what that was like. When, when the people in your life look like they had lost hope or at least lost somewhat of hope that you're going to make it, um, is what it felt like on, on my end. Um, and that's a scary place to be. Uh, but I did make it, and that's the good news. I spent a lot of time talking to God and uh, soul searching. You know, those days in the hospital, uh, I had to talk uh, harder. Sorry, our talks are having their own conversation right now. Uh, it's probably Carter. He was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a, a very uh, that level of when, when I had gone to the hospital that time, that they had to follow a totally more stringent protocol yeah. for infection control yeah. uh, because of how far the infection had gone for me. Yeah. And so that also meant that I limited to no visitors except a very small list. And, um, you know, even when my family, you know, Jeremy and my parents would come, uh, you know, it, it, it was very limited to how much time they could spend with me each day. Um, and so uh, it was, that was the, probably the hardest part of my life I've ever gone through was that the 45 day period. Yeah. Um, and Patrick, yeah. I want to, cause that, that period is the period that really shifted the, the perspective of like spiritually, like, I don't like the way that you attend church, all of that stuff started to change after that. So can you please share just a little bit more? You're doing so great. Um, about like the spiritual, like the shift that happened spiritually for you in that time frame. Sure. Um, I think that uh, uh, you know a lot of things changed. I I had uh, ever since I was a small child had a lot of issues surrounding death and and uh, just a constant trauma surrounding like. It, us, like myself dying, people I love dying, not being able to deal with it, not knowing what it just felt like something day in and day out constantly plagued me. And um, I don't know if I could eloquently put into words, you know, how the process I went through changed my outlook, but it did in such a way that um, no longer was I constantly being afraid of life being taken away from me. Um, and my, my outlook and perspective was that of being grateful for every day, every day more that I am given. And, um, I think it was one of the greatest gifts that I have been given in this lifetime because it has made my ability to have a relationship with who I call God, um, more possible. And um, for me to live so much more full, fully, um, you know, the way I was raised was so much about a book of rules and expectations and do's and don'ts. And um, spirituality changed for me through this whole process. And to me, 
God presented himself in so much of a way and so much of a bond and relationship uh, that I felt and still feel to this day um, that is not dependent on what so many people cling to in the Christian church. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how to define it, but there's this knowing within myself <laughs> of how spirituality is for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I still believe in the same God for me. Um, and I feel like I still have a, a relationship with him. Um, but I've been able to fully strip down, um, those inherited belief systems that our parents give us as children, um, and assimilate new ones that are my own. Mm. And in recovery, you know, in recovery in the 12 steps, we talk about that, mm -hmm. uh, doing that so much. And um, I had done that to some extent in my recovery process. Uh, but this is this was a whole new level for me um, spiritually and a whole new world coming through this process. Yeah, you articulated that very well. And thank you for sharing that. Um, Jeremy. All right, love. So tune in next week to hear the remainder of this interview and for part two, as we discuss further with Patrick and Jeremy, Gay Marriage in the South. This is couple one, part one, and next week will be part two. We'll see you there. Hello, my spiritual warriors. As you know, the doors to Mystic Rebel Academy have officially opened. They are open. So please go online to www.mysticalminister.com slash Mystic Rebel Academy, and you can sign up for classes now. We have classes of astral travel. We have sacred geometry, spiritual intuition. So you can learn the clairs and which ones are your most potent gifts, as well as sanctuary meditation and meeting your higher self. So you can connect with the higher frequencies of you and really get connected to that empowerment so that you can really do that which you are here to do in this world today. So go online, sign up, and you can always invite me to come and teach at your studio or your space, and as well as sign up for the Warrior Spirituality Workshop that will be live and in action very soon. I love you. I'll see you in person and online. Take care.